Hey, hey, this week is going to be a little bit different. Uh, me and the guys from the Cancelled for Maintenance podcast have done a collaboration episode. This podcast will be kind of cross-released on both platforms, mine this week, and it'll be released on their platform in a few weeks in the future here. So definitely give them a listen. They're an awesome group of guys. The podcast surrounds aircraft mechanics and all the you know crazy stories involved in that from shop-made tools to mishaps in the air to whatever else, anything else you can think of in between. And they have some remarkable guests on, like really people who have done a lot of good for the world and are are continuing to contribute to the world in amazing ways. So all their info will be in the podcast descriptor. Please check them out. Show them some support. If you reach out to them on social media, let them know you came from the Plaid Jacket Philosopher. And thank you very much. Hey, my name is Zach, and this is the Plaid Jacket Philosopher, the podcast for tradespeople in the blue-collar middle class. I'm hoping to punch a few holes in the stereotypes that surround blue-collar workers and hopefully share a lot of the stories behind how we got into our line of work and the honest joy you can get from working outside of the office space. The plan is to mix in interviews as well as some solo stories from job sites, fatherhood, and personal experiences that led me to where I am today. Some will be funny, some will be personal, but hopefully any and all content here can help broaden what your opinion is of the blue-collar middle class. Uh, Well, hey guys, this is kind of a a bit of a different concept for me anyway, and I think uh, the guys from Cancelled for Maintenance as well, but we're going to do a collaboration episode between the Plaid Jacket Philosopher podcast and the Cancelled for Maintenance podcast. So I'm Zach from the Plaid Jacket Philosopher, and I'll introduce, or well, you guys can introduce yourselves from Cancelled for Maintenance, and we'll get this thing rolling. Uh, Hi, everybody. (laughs) Six, you go first. (laughs) Hi, everybody. I'm Six from the Cancelled for Maintenance podcast. I am one of three co-hosts for the show. I'm MBP, uh, one of the co-hosts, uh, as Six had mentioned, uh, from the Cancer for Maintenance podcast. Looking forward to uh, working on this collab today. It's a, it's a new new thing for me, so I'm excited for it. I am Shoreline. I am co-host and producer of Cancer for Maintenance podcast. Hey, hey. <laughs> right thanks on, for having guys. us on. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on, and thanks for having me on your guys' show. You know, this will be released on both platforms, so whatever one you're listening to it on, maybe, you know, check out the other one as well. I think we'll have a good conversation today on maintenance in general and kind of what drew us all into the trades. I, I kind of imagine. Yeah. I think this is going to be our first one where we cover both in the air and then below the, below the earth. So we're recovering <laughs> to the most, <laughs> of the most probably yeah, we'll be in the depths and, and at altitude. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's what I kind of thought was cool. You know, you guys will be in Yanks and covering, you know, the, the machinery miles above the ground. And then I've worked on the, the machinery that's kilometers below the earth up, up here in Canada. So I just thought it would be kind of a cool contrast to see the similarities and maybe the differences between the two fields. And uh, what, what part of Canada are you uh, working out of? Uh, I live in British Columbia. So the West Coast of Canada, kind of directly above Oregon and Washington State. Nice. Very, uh, yeah. very pretty part of the world. Oh, it's beautiful. We're getting, well, I don't know actually what it converts to in Celsius, but it's about 30 degrees, or sorry, in Fahrenheit, but it's about 30 degrees Celsius here today. It's it's hot. We're finally getting our kind of April heat wave, so I'm not complaining. So that's kind of, that's close to like almost 90 here in in Fahrenheit. Yeah, so. actually, yeah, I think you're about right. So it's, wow. it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> for, for Canada anyway, it's hot for April. Yeah. So uh, I figured like for anybody who isn't really familiar with all this, like I I figured we could go over some introductory questions and kind of get to know everybody. So what kind of drew you guys into the trades? What got you started in, well, in your case is aircraft mechanics. Kick it off six. 
Uh, wow. Okay. So I, I originally stuck my first ever job was to install telephones. And so I had dealings with wires and that was kind of a gearhead myself, like just doing like mom and pop fixes, um, oil filter changes, uh, like minor engine work because I didn't have all their gear to do it, but I always wanted to do something with my hands and just kind of get out, get out on the field and just do stuff. So I wasn't all about really writing a desk that much. Eventually joined the military and it came down to like, well, you, you can't shoot a gun. But you can't be the guy on the, you can't be the boots on the ground because family reasons. And they wouldn't, at the time I was underage, so they wouldn't let me do it. So I decided like, well, I kind of like doing stuff with my hands. I might as well use that while I'm in the service. And I picked up being an aircraft mechanic. And it's been one of those where like every day is a different challenge. So I got, I got that, that fulfillment piece out of it. And it's been a pretty good ride so far. Yeah, that's great. And MVP, what about you? So I'm, I'm not prior military. I've uh, spent majority of my career doing military contracting, though. Uh, worked on some private, uh, private jets as well and space flight systems at uh, other companies. Um, but initially, I wanted, to, I wanted to be a pilot, wanted to, wanted to fly fast movers, i.e. Fighter, fighter jets and all that kind of stuff at something I wanted to do since I was a little kid. And, uh, when the time came, I, uh, to, to enlist or whatever else, I applied to the Naval Academy on two separate occasions and, uh, was denied both times. Um, one time for academic reasons. The second time was for <laughs> medical. I, I have a little bit of a spinal issues and they basically said, that's not going to happen. If you have to punch out, you'll die. I said, okay, so denied. So I went to the other branches and said, Hey, I would, you know, want to fly. And they said, well, you know, we can get you at the time. There wasn't like street to seat program. So now there, so it was one of those, well, we can start you here. Uh, and then once you're in, you can just, you know, do an internal transfer. We'll talk with my cousins who were already in the military. They said, don't sign that paperwork. You're going to get screwed. <laughs> and so, uh, and so I, I kind of turned away from that. Um, and I said, well, what's the next best thing? And I saw a, a late night TV ad for an A&P school. And I said, well, if I can't fly, might as well work them. So yeah. I, I went to A&P school and a few years later came out with a license and, um, and been working, working maintenance ever since. And that's kind of well, how, awesome. how I got into it. <laughs> so when you started, you got into, you went to school first, kind of after kind of searching out your, your different uh, career routes. Yeah. Yeah. So I searched it out. And I, to be honest with you, I didn't even know an A&P school uh, was a thing until I saw that late night ad. And my dad was hounding me at the time because all, all the guys I was graduating with friends and stuff, they had already known where they were going to college and everything else. And my dad was bu bugging me. Hey, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? I was, I'm going to go here. You know, let's go check it out. So it was the yeah. So it was the Pittsburgh uh, Institute of Aeronautics. So we we traveled over there. Uh, looked at the school. So yeah, it sounds like this is a place for me to be and I uh, signed up and that was it. And so it was uh 22 months straight through, uh, no breaks. And you yeah. come out with a uh, and and an associate's degree. Um, and then from there, um, they had a couple of, uh, companies that would come to the school and you could interview on site, uh, job pending. Cause you can't actually take the AMP license test until you graduate. Yep. So, Oh, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, so, and then we turned around, walked right back inside, and took the test. 
Uh, and so passed the test, got the license in the mail, and then uh, moved to the West Coast um, for my first uh, job out of school after that. And that's Are kinda, you still out West? Yeah, I'm still out West. I've, I've moved uh, back and forth across the country about four times now. Oh. Uh, following different jobs and stuff, but we're currently I'm back back where I started on the West Coast. Right on, right on. So it sounds like both of you, like six, going back to what you had said too, like you weren't really drawn to sitting in a class. I mean, I find that me being in trades, like I'm an electrician, obviously a totally different field, but I find a lot of trades people kind of have that in common. Like you, you aren't exactly drawn to sitting in a desk and doing paperwork all day. It's more, you like to get your hands into something. Right, right, absolutely. And I think a lot of that is just because... Like, uh, I've never sat down and actually like done any of that stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, nowadays I do because that's just how life progresses, but (laughs) right. And it's Uh, a bit more of the things you're interested in now. Right. I mean, mean, we're trying to go for longevity here. (laughs) You know, like there's only so, there's only so much you can put the, the load on the mule before he finally gives out. (laughs) That's a good, that's a good point. And so yours going through the military were, uh, did you have to pay that cost up front for school or was it kind of an apprenticeship as you were going through the military? Did, did they kind of cover that end for you? So all of, all of the training I received, uh, well, most of it was all military uh, related. So like the military had their own schools, they had their own instructors. I didn't really have to pay for any, I didn't have to pay for anything for as far as training is concerned. Oh, awesome. But if I say if I wanted to get a license or if I wanted to get a degree, I would have to go to a school and depending on what it is, the military can reimburse me up to a certain amount and I haven't really done any of that. So uh, most of the stuff I got, I was like, what can I get for free? So I just did those. <laughs> you know? hey, I would have done the exact same thing. I mean, we have all kinds of uh, subsidies to help get people into trades, especially when I started because there was such a shortage of young trades people in, right. uh, in BC, especially, and we we're coming into a housing crisis. So they had to start getting boots on the ground and people building things again. So yeah, I got a, a bunch of freebies through incentives from the government, which I'm I'm not complaining about either. <laughs> yep, See, that's, that's pretty, pretty nice. That's pretty nice. Uh, I, for A and P schools, I know. I mean, you can get scholarships here and there, but nothing like you would achieve um, for going to a major university uh, right. because it is a trade school, and that's kind of how they do things here in the states. Now, I know, I know, there's a shortage of trades down here, so a lot of companies now will hire you on, and they'll pay to send you. Uh, but that's mostly for like uh, carpentry, uh, electricians, HVAC systems, um, nothing, nothing aviation related. Unfortunately, in the States, um, aviation maintainers are considered an unskilled labor. Even the auto industry is considered a skilled labor. And we can thank kidding? we can thank Nixon yeah. for that one. Yeah, he uh, Jesus. He, he hooked Unskil- us up. Well, what's the saying, MVP? Unskilled, but essential. <laughs> that is crazy that that's classified as unskilled. That's that's but crazy. Anyways, so, yeah, we can thank Nixon for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so I, I know we had kind of talked about this just before recording, and Six, I'm sure you've got a lot of stories, but have either of you guys ever had, like, anxious moments, you know, rolling a piece of gear out or have had to put kind of Band-Aid fixes on a machine out in the field just to get it back to shop or, or to wear somewhere they can properly fix that, that part? Oh, oh, absolutely. And I, <laughs> and I think we've kind of addressed some of this in one of, a few of our episodes. Uh, one of them was uh, the janky GSC episode where like uh, MVP mentioned like he had a tow tractor that takes a, uh, an aircraft in and out of where it needs to go. It got so... Uh, hoopty or so broke that they had to use like a pair of pliers 
to be the gas pedal. Like they would just pull on the <laughs> throttle cable to go forward and back. And then you're flying through the air with that thing. Well, so well, yeah, well, th- you're moving the aircraft around with that thing. So the chances of the, the vice grip slipping off the cable and the machine lurching forward and smashing the aircraft or whatever is pretty, pretty high at that point. I'm <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> now, now, as far as like aircraft fixes, I mean, this, uh, this may seem like a scary thing, but duct, duct tape or uh, what we call like a flash breaker tape or a hundred mile an hour tape fixes a lot of stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> Granted, I, know, it's not... I know like overseas when I was on uh, working, working abroad and in various undesirable locations in my past, uh, we had an all composite airframe and the pilots flew it through a hailstorm. And so it just came back and it looked like shredded shredded cheese on the whole front end but we didn't have the stuff to fix the composites properly so uh we threw a hundred mile an hour speed tape over it and you thought that would have just been a temporary fix but two years later and it's still holding up and still flyable so we just keep pressing on <laughs> <laughs> two years in it's still on there right yeah they're like yeah. well it's, you know and then people are making the money calls and you're like hey we need this material I'm like yeah it costs a lot of money though like it's still kind of working so why don't you like yeah it's working but it's not supposed to It'd be the be all end all fix. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, kind of is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I can relate that exactly to mining, man. Like when, when we were in, in mining, like we would get pieces of gear shipped up to us that you could literally tell all they did was slap a coat of paint on it. It hadn't been commissioned out of shop. It hadn't nothing. Like it would show up to site just this hunk of garbage and you had to try to get it to work just to get underground like and sometimes being an electrician, I didn't have to worry about the the diesel connections of it. But one of these these machinery these pieces of machinery that came up i think in the shop it had an electrical fire at one point and so they literally they rewired the whole internal circuitry with just blue single conductor they must not have had any other cabling on site so there's probably i don't know 200 electrical components all coming into this electrical panel and it's all ran in blue single conductor no wire tags so whenever you'd have to trace out what is at fault in that piece of machinery you literally had to point to point with your tester, get your, your apprentice to go around to the other side of the machine. You're trying to point to point cables and it was, it was a nightmare, but nobody wanted to pay to rewire it because that's, that puts that machine out of commission for probably a month, six weeks, something like that at a time. So nobody's got time for that. Shoreline, is your brain exploding right now? Just from hearing that? Well, I mean, there's been several <laughs> aircraft that I've worked on that were the same way, you know, you open it up and, and it might've gone through a mod in the past, but when they did the mod, they'd, they installed it, object it, made it go, but they didn't do any proper labeling. So when, like you said, point to point, doing continuity checks, trying to figure out what's going where. Um, now my now my cousin, uh, he's an electrical engineer on mining equipment in Western Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. And so some of what you're talking about, uh, the electrical panels and stuff, I've I've heard him telling me horror stories of his experience working those <laughs> down. Uh, in the mines. And he said for uh, the company he works for, they're switching over from um, diesel power. With that, they're having massive software issues that he's uh, having to troubleshoot miles below the surface. Or oh, man. And kilometers. Um, yeah. <laughs> for all you plaid jacket <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, and that that's a factor that really doesn't get taken into consideration that much. Like when you're working underground, like you've never seen a dark like that darkness like you, you'd hold your hand two inches in front of your face you have no idea that it's there right if the lights get turned out mm-hmm. and so yeah that that's such a good point trying to troubleshoot anything underground and you're literally just going by your cap lamp and whatever else you've got in the area but 
it adds a whole different uh, dynamic to trying to diagnose any issue down there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, six and I can attest to being out on the ramp in the middle of nowhere at nighttime um, and trying same thing, just a headlamp, but you're not even allowed to have the, the white light led on. You can only have oh, the red, yeah. the red light on due to mm-hmm. security issues and whatever else from locations we've been. And uh, yeah, trying to do all that by that, just that one tiny little red light. It's pretty, pretty difficult at times. Oh, right. And then uh, some of those wires, they're not red light visible. I would say, I guess that's the word red light visible. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like you're, you're trying to look in as like, which one is what? And you see like next to nothing, you maybe see like a couple metal parts that they're like, they're fastened or mounted to, but that's about it. Like, yeah. Is that green, blue, or Brown? I can't tell. <laughs> right. <laughs> they all blend into the same. Well, and then, then to add to that, right. So it's hard to tell the colors under that red light, but then you're also trying to read um, documentation on how to fix it. Maybe some engineering directives or whatever else. Um, have you, you know, and, 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 as our listeners know, and at six and I have discussed at length, like a lot of the directions or maintenance manuals that we have are less than adequate. And the engineering directives are written so vaguely kind of left to open, open interpretation. Have you ran into that in the mining side where um, you're trying to fix things and what you're trying to work to is just, it's just not there in the paperwork, you know, it's just really lacking in uh, information. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I mean, I imagine it's the same with aircraft. I mean, I know I've heard you guys speak about working on really old aircraft and kind of bringing in the, like the, the last generation to kind of identify how to fix it properly. But it's the same with mining equipment because a lot of that, those machines are from the sixties, seventies, and they've just been refurbished over time. So you may get like eight set of prints that comes with this one machine. And then you're trying to figure out which pieces are from what era. And like they've, none of them are updated properly. So you're working on some components from the seventies and then, you know, some stuff got added on in the eighties and it's trying to decipher and it just makes sense of it all that that's mind numbing. Like I, I actually started in uh, mining because it's a pretty older demographic that still does it. I started apprenticing under a 78 year old electrician who, you know, his, his kind of wealth of knowledge was absolutely like foundational in me getting my foot in the door because he just basically showed me how to navigate all this stuff. He had just seen it all done it all. So it, uh, it was something that I really valued moving forward in, in my career in mining. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, so, so yeah. depending on what you're working on, you have to know what, what decade it was from to know which manual to go to. That's, oh man, that adds a whole other dynamic. At least oh, for yeah. aircraft, that, that there's usually one errors, but typically they're supposed to update the manuals with all that data to incorporate it into one location, or at least have it under uh, attached, you know, memorandums and things like that, so you know kind of where to look for what. But man, I, you know, so we have uh, in the states we have the FAA regs, right, that we follow under and. I know in Europe they have EASA standards, which they follow under. Uh, and the difference between the states and that, right, is, you know, you get an AMP in the states that's a license to work. You can work any aircraft, and there's no limit to the aircraft you can work. Uh, and under EASA, you're limited to three, three type rated airframes. And then if one of those gets disbanded or whatever else, then you can go back to school and get another airframe under your belt. But you're only allowed three. For mining, okay. is there any standards? Uh, I know, you know, you go to school and get your licensing, learn whatever else. Um, but is there any specific licensing or uh, you're only allowed to work certain equipment or, you know, what, what's the what's the standards there? 
You know what? Not that I had ever experienced. Um, electrically, I was my ticket allowed me to go up to 750 volts, which uh, all of our machinery was 600 volt rated. We had like 5,000 volt transformers underground, but basically the company that I worked for employed guys with an A ticket, we call it up here, so they could they could deal with that high voltage and I could work under that their umbrella. Um, so no, but it didn't have to do with specific machinery uh for me it was just voltage ratings so anything under 750 volts i could work on without any anybody kind of watching over my shoulder and so all of our machinery fell under that but what you're talking about in the states that probably makes a lot more sense because you know you can you can see all different manufacturers roll through there and trying to stay on top of all of them it's uh yeah it's tough it's next to impossible really but you, you just kind of get pretty familiar with the machinery that you do have on site and that's kind of what served me as best as I could kind of moving forward in that. That's cool. Yeah. It's just, it's just interesting to learn that the different rules and regulations under, under different industries, you know, you, 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 you hear the industry, but you don't really know the ins and outs of it and, and what makes it tick on a day-to-day basis, you know? Right. No, to- totally. And like, like, I mean, like you guys were talking about with kind of duct tape, I mean, that's what keeps mining going essentially is duct tape or WD-40, whatever, if it, if it moves and it shouldn't, you know, spray with some WD-40, if it doesn't move and it should, you know, yeah, it's, it's just, that's the way it is kind of, kind of underground. And it's amazing. Some of the air quote band-aid fixes you can get away with, even in like Canada has the mine safety regulations, which we focus mostly on the electrical end of it, but it's amazing. Like, how loose and how many loopholes they give you as an electrician to just keep the mind going, regardless of kind of what potential hazards you may have in place. Like basically in there, it just says, as long as you have safety tape around it, you can do open air splice connections at 5,000 <laughs> volts, whatever you need to, to make sure that that mind oh keeps God. running. Isn't it crazy oh that, Get they, it running. that they say it's safety driven, but we all, but <laughs> if you really tri- follow the troubleshooting tree down, it's, it comes down to a, a a dollar sign or, you know, it's money driven, whatever it oh takes. Oh my God. We're going to write this so loose. So we don't have to spend money to keep this thing going. Like it's crazy. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so nuts. Yeah. When it comes right down to it, push comes to shove. It's like, how much money is that costing you? Yeah. Just get it running. We don't care how. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I imagine it's the same with you guys too. And that kind of rolls right into the next question I had, I had for you two was um, how do you deal with the stress of the shop or of like your superior, whoever it is, like breathing down your neck. And I don't know. I mean, I know me in maintenance, I, I kind of enjoyed that bit of pressure. I found that it made me kind of work a little bit sharper, if that makes any sense, but I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on it. Alcohol and sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) Caffeine and a lot of hate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I can relate to those too. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like especially with superiors, right? Cause it all depends on what, what angle they're coming from. If they legitimately care then it's not a big deal. Like I get their stress. I get the the time crunch that they need to have because that were that essentially pays our job. Mm-hmm. But then you get like certain individuals who are really about trying to meet that goal or or exceed it. So they start like pushing things ahead of, of what they should uh, be um, executed by, and that's when we run into real problems. Like I, I get it, what you're trying to do. However, A, this is not safe. B, I don't have the means to do it. And then C, it's not right. So you, you pick and choose your fight, man. Like, do you want to meet your timeline 
or do you want to go to jail? <laughs> well, and to or, add to that, right, you might get people in management um, who know nothing from our end, know nothing about aviation. They're just money people. They, you know, they don't need to know the aircraft or how it works. They just need to know uh, how to move people in a certain direction and how to keep the dollar expenditure down. Um, oh, absolutely. So, so when it comes like, you know, from six and I's past, uh, doing flight tests and things like that, they will come in and, okay, here's the, here's the path of progression from day one. We're going to start, start and incorporate these components into this airframe. We're going to ground test it. Then we're going to flight test it. Then we're going to, everything's scheduled out. Well, you come down through it and you're like, oh, well, you know, engineering forgot, um, a couple of the parts. Okay. Well, when can we get the parts? Well, it's going to be a three day delay. Okay, well, let's just uh, button everything up. Let's take a lap around the field, you know, burn a lap around the flagpole and uh, vet out what we've got so far. And then we'll come back and incorporate the other stuff. And and so from like what in six and I's position at that time, like, no, hold on, hold on. You want to button up everything now. We've gutted this plane. You want to button everything back up to fly it for 30 minutes around the field to land it, to then gut it, take it apart and gut it again. And then incorporate these other two components to then button it back up to then take it around the field for another 30 minutes. Like you're, you're asking, first of all, it just doesn't make any sense. It's a lot of wasted time and effort. Uh, second of all, you're, you're just asking for more problems to be induced. The more you, you know, as you know, the more times you take apart and put something back together, the chances of things go missing or getting damaged or whatever else is higher. And then say something does go missing or gets damaged. Now we're, down even more time to fix that component if or wait for a replacement part if we would have just waited for the other stuff initially it's you know that's this the stuff that bean counters don't see on a day-to-day oh big big time it's like it's like they view kind of any downtime in the shop as as the biggest negative possible but it's like no no this is going to save you money in the long run I, i promise you listen to me right and then oh by the way the three days that got delayed because of the parts is not being added to your timeline goal we're actually we're just going to press on with the original timeline. Now you just have three days less to get it done. We're like, wait a minute, what? No kidding. I mean, I can't remember if it was MVP or U6, but in one of your guys' recent episodes, you were talking about how there was only two of this specific tool for this one part that you were trying to get out across. It was in North America or maybe even the world. Like in a situation like that, where you're waiting on this one particular tool to come in to properly do a job i mean oh but yeah you still got yeah you still got your your kind of superiors breathing down your neck it's like what do i do here guys like cut me a little bit of slack yeah yeah absolutely. i remember what, i remember that i remember that episode so i was actually working in calgary at that time oh uh we had a falcon 2000 aircraft up there and it was an older model it was one of the uh first few serial numbers out there so and then on those Pratt and Whitney motors at that time, the gearboxes seals that they were using on those were a little different. They had to be pressed in, whereas the other one are mag seals. Um, so with that, yeah. So there's two 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 tools in existence to remove those seals out. One was in Paris at the time, uh, at Dassault, and one was in New Orleans. So we had to wait, yeah, to get the one up from from New Orleans. But it's just it's crazy. They don't understand. Like, well keep trying. You're like, keep trying. I've, I've tried everything I could. What, what do you want to do? There's a, spe- a special tool that was made for this because it's a known problem. I'm like, we'll just figure it out. And I'm like, I did figure it out. I figured out there's a tool and we're going to order the tool, you know, like it's just, but they don't, they don't understand. Like you're just sitting around like, well, we're paying you to sit around. I'm like, it, it, it is what it is. It's the nature of the beast, you know? 
right? It happens. I'm sorry. That's know? exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I, yeah, I love that episode. The same with the ones where you're talking about, uh, I think it might have been the same episode is talking about field built tools. Like, I don't think there's any, I mean, it sounds like aircraft mechanics, you guys have got it nailed too, but miners, man, like they build the craziest contraption these big pieces of shit to do a specific job but there is nothing else in the world that'll do the job like like that tool that like we had a, a millwright who would create the craziest tools for us to to get specific situations get out of those jams but man like there's so much intelligence built into that like those guys it, it's amazing what some of them can come up with well what, oh, what's yeah. what's funny in aviation is well yeah we'll build those field tools and then the next thing you know that becomes standard kit in your issued toolbox <laughs> Right. The, the same the same Frankenstein tool until someone smart comes along and then makes it professionally. So like, OK, at least now now it has a sticker on. Yeah, it. we <laughs> right. we right. we glued duct taped and screwed it together in the field to make it work. And then somebody and then we went went to superiors back home and said, hey, this is what we built to 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 make this job particular job happen. Like, cool. And they give it to engineers who take dimensions, put it in CAD drawings, and then they mail out a professional looking tool. And, uh, right. and then don't, don't give credit to the guys who developed it on their own. So yeah. I'm sure you run into <laughs> make- that too in mining, like, Oh, we say we developed this cool thing. And the manager's like, yeah, look at what we developed. You're like, no, wait a minute now. <laughs> <laughs> Man, totally. Like we had the millwrights building the coolest kind of cable hanging gear for us. It would basically, I don't know if you're familiar with underground gear, but it's called a scoop. So it's a big four wheeled machine that goes down and it's basically just a big, big front loader where the scoop is as big as the machine itself. So it's picking out the muck or the the blast rock. Oh yeah. It. I've seen those. I've seen those. Yeah. So we had our, um, our millwright built up this big arm that would basically hang our cable for us off the side of the scoop. So we'd have one guy standing in the scoop, which may be frowned upon, but I'm, I'm out of mining now. So we'd have one guy standing in the scoop, just guiding it along and the, the scoop would literally hang our cable for us. Next thing you know, they've sent it off and they've got these things made up properly. And yeah, sure enough, it's got the mining company's logo slapped on it. You know, I think they bought the millwright, uh, uh, Tim Horton's gift card or something and said, thanks for this. But you know, like, it's just, <laughs> it's crazy. It was genius though. He built it on the spot out of some scrap steel and it, it served us for like three years of trying to advance the mine cable. Nice. Yeah, man. So I, and going back to the bean counters too, like, I don't know if you guys have had any, do you guys ever do like the kind of QC stuff or where you're commissioning equipment to be released like that day? Oh, to a, to a point. Yes. Um, we've, um, uh, we have a, a, a section in our quality control team where like there's one of their main jobs is to inspect tooling when it comes in and when it leaves. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sometimes we'll have, a contractor on site to make some stuff for us or within an earshot of the site to make stuff for us. So we would actually have to inspect their, their, their tools or the tooling that they made for us, give, depending on what kind of work it's supposed to do and what we commissioned them to do. And they have their own set of specs, but really we're like, well, it looks, it looks all right. I guess it's cool. You know, <laughs> so especially yeah. if it's one of those like special made, like this only exists the first time ever. So oh, totally. Uh, I guess I don't. I don't know what this looks like, but all right. <laughs> oh yeah, like, and I, I just mean like. So one situation that I had, like, we had a machine roll up to site, and basically we were talking about the bean counters again. So I had this jumbo roll in, which is basically the articulating drill for underground. Um, big piece of machinery, expensive as hell. And so we had this thing going down underground. I had it commissioned in the shop. It was all good. Rolled it down to the operating face where we were drilling into this ore vein. And 
we had everybody down there from the mine superintendent, a bunch of the board members, like literally all the bean counters in the company. It was a blizzard of white hats down there. And they go to plug this thing in, switch it over to electrical to fire up the drills. As soon as they plug it in, like nothing turns on, nothing at all underground. And I'm standing there like mouth hanging on, on the ground. Like I've, I was never been more embarrassed in my life because I just commissioned this thing 45 minutes before it drove. It's all the way down the drift. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys have had like this where maybe you've commissioned something or cleared something to go on the runway and then maybe something drops out last minute and now all of a sudden it doesn't work and you're the one sitting there kind of holding your 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 tool in your hand like oh fuck don't look at me but with this thing we had to take it back up to surface and they ended up actually bringing it from the shop it in the slip rings in the the electrical connections in the box they had miswired a door switch so all the rattling of it driving down this drift actually changed the position of the door switch the way it should have been. And it, it basically malfunctioned. It cut all power to the unit and I had to bring it back up to surface. And I don't think I've ever had more kind of, I've never, I've never had kind of my foot in my mouth so bad as, as that point in time. Like, and again, with all the bean counters right there, all of them trying to, you know, tell you they're looking at their watches. They're saying like, how long is this going to be? And I, I had it down, down there for probably half an hour. And it was the most stressful, stressful point of time in my mining career ever. Um, I can't, I personally can't say I've done something like that, but uh, MVP and I've had instances where we have, like you said, a blizzard of white hats around. And they want a certain test or a certain aircraft or a certain uh, flight to go mm-hmm. so much that they'll they'll gloss over a whole bunch of stuff, even though there's a whole bunch of red flags going up like this shouldn't <laughs> go. And they're like, it's fine. Just do it. We, we got people here. We got demonstrators here. We got buyers here. We got uh, customers here, whatever the case may be. And they say, push, go, go. I'm like. <laughs> This is probably not a good idea. I mean, I, I mean, in, in my past, I've had situations like that where, you know, it taxis out, aircraft taxis out, everything's going well. They get to the end of the runway, getting ready for takeoff roll. And then you hear the RTB call, return to base. Uh, they come back to chocks and you're like, oh, man, what's going on? You're like, uh, we lost fuel pressure. And you're like, oh, man, I just replaced the fuel control. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Like, mm. So you start looking at it and you get in there and then. Like there, there's like, you know, it's like slotted adjustments, right. For certain switches. Yep. And, um, and you know, you, you thought you rigged it right. And you put it in, come back up and you look, uh, at the, at the adjustments and that switch had moved just a little bit. Um, oh, man. It, it doesn't it, take anything. Yeah. It doesn't take anything. It was just a little bit. And you start looking at it and you're like, I guess I didn't tighten those adjustment screws down hard enough. You know what I mean? Just dumb <laughs> stuff like that. But everybody's looking at you like you just replace that fuel control what what did you do you know what i mean like how dare you and <laughs> how dare you and like you said it is stressful because all eyes are on you and you're like ah, just, sorry everyone just trying to just play an aircraft mechanic today you know <laughs> um and that's that's it especially when everybody knows it was you who worked on it. it's like oh my god like there's so much egg on my face there's no way i can talk my way out of this well yeah, engineers are staring at you management staring at you but the worst <laughs> part the worst part are your your counterparts your equals who are standing out there they're not helping you they're just talking shit to you the whole time where you're trying to fix it <laughs> yeah. you suck what the fuck you know just shit like that and you're like god, that's the worst part to me is that your equals are, are dogging you the whole time oh right? I know exactly. Yeah, that's the worst. We had one guy on site who would actually sign his initials in every single electrical termination box that he did, which I had never seen before in my life. Like, I love the guy. He was an old timer. He was probably 65 while I was working in the oil field. But 
I have never seen that before ever. Like normally everybody's like, don't admit to anything. It's like, don't, don't say you worked on that just in case anything goes bang one day. That's exactly how aviation is like, dude, don't incriminate yourself. What are you doing? Hell no. Yeah. 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 yeah that- don't, don't sign up for that. That cause God forbid, let's say an aircraft goes down or whatever else. And you get the NTSB out there doing their investigation. They find the one, and that's the one piece that didn't get destroyed was, was the panel you signed your name on, you know? Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. That's what we would always say too. But he said, you know, he, he did uh, kind of leave a lot of good lessons on me. He did say to take pride in his work and that's what he did. Like I, I can't, I can't say anything bad about him, but it's not something I would ever incorporate into, into my work. So we oh, have yeah. log books, right? Talking about signing our name. We have log books. Everything that we do on an aircraft has to be annotated in the aircraft log book. And you basically sign your life away as the job being uh, completed. And then once you get to a certain level, you know, you have um, release or safer flight. So you'll sign, sign your life away saying that the entirety of that aircraft is good to go. Even though you might've had 10 other people working on it and then they have signed off their individual jobs, but then you as as a safer flight individual, you're going around, you're kind of making the, sure the paperwork squared away, all everything's good to go, everything looks good, mm-hmm. uh, and you and you sign it for safer flight. Do you guys have anything like that in mining, uh, m- machine logbooks, or um, y- you know, like now in today's world, we have all computer based logbooks, but do you guys have things like that where all the jobs you do have to be annotated somewhere for tracking purposes, or just kind of oh, broke, we fix it, and now it's working again type thing, and on, on with our day. No, it was all it was all documented. We had like uh, me being kind of the mine supervisor there. I had to have a daily logbook that I would log all the work that the guys did. That was just basically my own, like to cover my own ass, what we have done. Uh, so I didn't have to collect signatures from the guys in that case. But as far as like when it came to PM, so preventive maintenance, like we had to sign off on all that stuff, sign off on exactly what was done. And we'd usually have to get the um, the mechanic supervisor who was also overlooking the mechanical portion of that machine, not the electrical end, but they would sign off that we had done it as well. And so we would kind of cover each other's asses just saying that, yeah, this is what we've done. Like it, it helped us get pretty familiar with the machines themselves, but yeah, that was all documented just to make sure that it did all get done properly. And, uh, like at the correct engine hours and everything. Now let's say there was, um, a mishap down in the mine, right? Uh, something in the machine the operator was using it, something malfunctioned in the um, individual, the operator or somebody close by got hurt due to the malfunction or whatever else. Is there a safety board that you'll have to shut down operations for a time until that investigative team comes out and does their, their reports and files at all and says, okay, now you guys are cleared to, to open again. Is there anything like that? Yeah, yeah there was, I mean, uh, in this mine that I was working at, we had several headings kind of going at the same time. So you had the main drift going down, but then it would T or branch. And so we'd have different headings going. So depending on what was happening, it would usually shut down one heading and then they would start to investigate. I mean, personally, we never had a, a machine malfunction. It was usually, I mean, if you've ever been around miners, it was usually operator error <laughs> a lot of the time <laughs> down there. Um, but yeah, that that did take place. They would they would kind of look back at the logbooks on the specific machines, check out the hours, check out when the last maintenances were done, and just do a once over for that. But I, I had never been in a scenario where it did come down to a mechanical or electrical malfunction. Okay, yeah. now that's I- kind of that's kind of the same with us yeah. to okay. a point. Like a lot of issues are typically caused by operator error, aka air crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, we do have some instances where it was caused mecha- uh, by a mechanic or a technician, but majority of the times it's 
it, it it's some things we can't do while it's on the ground. It's only things that we can only induce or figure out once it's in the air. Oh man, that's so frustrating too, from a, like a maintenance end, trying to recreate those issues that only happen when it's whatever un, in service, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Because when it's in flight, it's, it's under all sorts of other stresses and loads that you can't duplicate on the ground. So they're like, well, we, you know, we'll fix it. And you're like, well, I've done the ops check 10 times over. Like I can't, it's not, it's not malfunctioning. Whatever's happening in the air is what's causing this thing to trip, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that goes back <clears throat> to that same issue that I had commissioning that one piece of gear, basically when it was in shop and it was driving on smooth pavement, this one little door switch in basically the connection point where the, the big electrical cord reel rolls out. Well, that switch point was closed. So it, it conducted electricity. It allowed, that was the safety function, just in case you're servicing, if you're servicing the slip rings and you open that door, you don't want to have 600 volts live staring you right in the face. So that'll kill power to the unit. So, but as soon as it drove down the bumpy, rocky drift, that door swung around, got loose. And then all of a sudden that door switch didn't engage anymore. But again, when you're under pressure trying to deal with that, and now you're into a real world situation and this just commissioned 30 minutes ago on surface, like, why isn't it anymore? Like, it's tough to try to figure those those solutions out when you're under pressure. Oh, yeah, most definitely. So in those <laughs> kind definitely. of situations, right, you're just saying, uh, oh, well, this was just commissioned on surface. Now we're taking it down. It doesn't work. Somebody got hurt then at that point or whatever else, you know, say worst case scenario, somebody got hurt. Um, right. Can you're, you know, and then you get um, whatever the investigative uh, safety board or your quality control coming down, whoever's, whoever's running that, do they – can can licenses or certifications be revoked on the spot and they basically say get the hell out of the mine type thing like we, you're, you you can't work in mining anymore because you're a safety hazard type thing you know what that'd be interesting i'd heard stories about that before where guys would get kicked out so i imagine that it does happen um i had never seen it personally in in my five years underground but i've i've definitely seen it or i've heard of it yeah that the guys will just get kicked out and I don't know if it was uh, a regular regulatory board yeah. thing or if it was just your name. Like mining's a really small world. I'm sure that aircraft mechanics is too, but you, you kind of, everybody knows about other people and you kind of just get blacklisted. That was the same way in oil field as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it was actually a regulatory board that kicked them off or it was just yep. kind of the yeah, industry itself just, that, that just cut them happened. right out of it. <laughs> oh, okay. So from my experience, so I was working uh, private jets, um, here in Southern California at one point. And, um, I was out in the line one night working, a working a jet and probably two jets down. There was another guy from another company working another aircraft uh, in the middle of the night, you know, and with the FAA, they can spot check you at any time on the ramp, you know, we're all, Hey, let me see your licenses. What are you working on? Let me see the paperwork. Let me see documents. Like they'll just, they'll just kind of spot check you. And this guy had been doing, he got spot checked one night, probably two in the morning. Um, you know, starts, let me see your license. Okay. It's current and whatever else. Let me see your, you know, other certifications. What do you have on you? You know, you have your, uh, part 145. You work for them. You got some, you got all sorts of documentation. Okay. Let me see the aircraft logbook. Let me see your work order. Cause to work on certain jets, you have to have a work order from the company who owns and operates that aircraft. Right. So, okay, yeah. so the work order that he had had a specific statement of work and what that guy was doing was not on the, on the work statement. And so he was, and he hadn't annotated an aircraft logbook and he was called out on it and lied, um, essentially to the FAA inspector. And the guy said, okay, uh, let me check your license one more time. 
pulls out his license, hands it to him, and, and the FAA inspector cut it up on the spot to get the hell off the ramp. And that guy can never work in aviation again. Wow. Like he, he couldn't even go back and retake his schooling if he wanted to. Nope. Nope. One and done. Wow. Full provoke. Because now, now your now your credibility, your now you can't be trusted essentially. So, and and with aviation, you know, people's lives uh, are in the balance, and so it's one of those like now nah, you can't, you're done. That's incredible. I know. I mean, at least with where I work, the it's British Columbia, but the BC Safety Authority they can pull your contractor's license and basically cut it up uh, if they deem you yeah unsafe or if you've put people in unsafe situations before anything big happened on one of your sites they they can definitely do that here as well yeah or or you you might get suspended for a time right you you know i've seen i've heard of that happening like things will happen or whatever else it wasn't wasn't life you know threatening or detrimental it was just kind of one of those like you know you messed up and you lied but it wasn't severe so yeah. And that, that part of it, I, I totally understand. So I've seen that as well, but I, yeah, I've, I've heard of people again, getting kicked out of the industry kind altogether. Of happens. Yeah. 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 That's, that's wild. It's well, I mean, it's good. I guess it keeps some, uh, some regulations in place that, you know, <laughs> you don't necessarily want some of those guys still in the industry, but. Sure. But what happens too with it as well is you get people who are also afraid to, to do anything. Right. So as you know, from your industry and from ours, troubleshooting is a big thing. Um, and that takes years and experience to get really good at. And what I'm noticing, at least in the industry, is nobody troubleshoots anymore. The minute they run into a problem, it's like, oh, I don't know. That Let's call weird. the engineers. Let's just stop everything. Oh, hold on. Like, it might be a simple fix. Just just pull out the multimeter real quick and let's pin it out. No, 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 no. We, we got to get in engineering and stuff involved. Like, it's not. What are you doing? You know, we're here in the hangar. We're in a safe environment. Like what's, but yeah, it's just, you're because of that, everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid to do anything, which is, right. which is kind of bad in its own right too. Yeah. So. I mean, I mean, let, let's not try to do any crazy troubleshooting, you know, like let's take, take the part and recreate the environment by seeming, by throwing it in the refrigerator or something like that. And that's completely different. What, what we mean is like, let's follow our troubleshooting steps or at least what we know the functionality of the component is supposed to be and then figure it out from there. Because if we if we just kind of drop our the drop our pack and just assume someone else will take care of it, then that's just more money, more time and more reason for you to get axed, you know? Well, and, oh, and, and with yeah. it, right? So let's say it's an electrical problem. Um, okay, hey, uh, this component's not powering on. Well, the component's probably bad. We should just replace the component. Well, hold on. We know power is coming from here and we're not getting into this component. Let's start working back the line. Let's go from the power source to the next component, to the next component. So instead of replacing a $5,000 box, it might just be a $20 relay switch, you know, but totally. without the troubleshooting, yes, you wouldn't notice, but it's just, people don't look at it from that. They're like, no, 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 I'm hands are clean. You can't, you're not going to get me today. Not today, Satan. <laughs> right. yeah and i i think you're right about that maybe that's coming from being just overregulated and guys getting scared to kind of put their name on anything because yeah you're right i mean it could come down to a loose connection for all we know or a blown fuse like that's it could be a real simple fix yeah well like you said uh guys are afraid to do anything and don't want to sign their name to it like they might I, i've witnessed this even recently guys will spend three days working something that comes down to signing off like no nah, i'm not signing off somebody else got to go behind me and look at it and whatever i'm like are you not a certified you know, technician, 
Yeah. Yeah. But right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm, so you're just going to go your whole career and never sign anything off. And I was like, right. you're like, yeah, if I can, I said, that's, that's just insane to me. Cause if you came to my shop and I was your lead or whatever, and you're telling me you're not going to sign anything off, I have no use for you. You know, cause if I have to go behind you and inspect everything because you're not willing to sign it off, that that's, I don't need you anymore. I'll just do the job myself. Right. I, I've seen some instances like that recently. Now that you mentioned that MVP about you'll get some technicians that will do, they'll ask for courtesy checks, right. From inspectors or from someone else. Like, can you check on my stuff real quick? Like they'll just do it up real fast and say, Hey, can you courtesy check me just to see if I did it right. And then they'll say, they'll some, say someone else comes and does the said courtesy check. Like, yeah, it looks fine to me. And then they call the inspector over and it's all dicked up or certain things are wrong. He's like, well, what so-and-so said was fine. Or, or yeah. Oh, yeah, I've had that happen. They come over like, hey, can you can you back me up real quick? And I'm like, okay. And you kind of go through it and you do the object. And you're like, yeah, it looks good to me. And you're like, cool, get my second signature. Then you're like, no, <laughs> wait a minute now. I just verified it's working. I didn't do all the steps up. To the, I don't know if you put safety wire in the right location. I don't, you know, I'm just verifying it operates. But what if you didn't torque something down? I wasn't here for every step. I'm not doing that. Who was yeah. here working with you? You know what I mean? Right. And you're and, right. Uh, it's finding those people who can be accountable to their, their own work. Like you said, like you have no use for somebody who's not going to be able to sign their own work off. You've got to, you've got to kind of take account for your own stuff. Yeah. And if you're not comfortable signing off your work, let me know. And I'll find, you know, I, I need, I need a broom pusher all day. So <laughs> I'll give you one of those. I'll give you one of those spots. Right. Or, yeah. or like, we'll, we'll have someone who's, who has experience, like kind of show you the ropes for a little bit, but you know, you can only use that excuse for so long. Like, dude, it's been like three months. You should know how to do this by now. Or it's been X amount of years. You should know how to do this by now. Yeah. It's been, yeah. it's been, it's been a year and a half. You should know how to power up this one specific airframe by now. Like it's like, it'd be for like the mining equipment, right? You have a technician and you got one of your pieces of equipment and the guy's like, Hey, can you come power it up for me so I can do whatever? Like, man, it's been six months. You should know, you should know how to power this, this unit on by now. That's step number one. You know? Yeah. Right. That's, that's a good point. I think that's, that's a lot of what it comes down with maintenance too. I mean, yeah, there's, there's obviously a massive learning curve for any kind of new equipment, but at the same time you've, yeah, you've got to be accountable for it. Kind of a, a quick learner. I mean, it's not for everybody. Like you guys are well aware of, there's a lot of stress when it comes to maintenance, <laughs> trying to keep things working and you're, you're always running into a different kind of hurdle to jump over. But yeah, I agree. I agree. I think uh, to kind of give a little bit more open perspective as Shoreline actually mentioned something like this with his job where he had a guy that said, Oh, I, I've had X amount of years experience on this type of equipment. So they said, all right, cool. This is all yours. And then he had like no idea how to even turn it on. <laughs> like, are you are you serious, bro? And then here and then here's Shoreline Lou has never even seen this thing or um have you or you've had little experience with it, and then you're the one pretty much figuring it out on the fly because so and so for all the years that he says he's worked it still doesn't know how to plug it in. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I can't imagine I can't believe that. That's crazy. But I think we have that for, for any industry, right? You get the loud mouse who come into the hangars or the mine and say, Oh, I know how to do this. I've done this forever. And you try to be like, Hey man, um, here's how we do things here. This and that. And, like, and they kind of cut you off and say, no, no, no. I, 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 I know what I'm doing. Oh, okay. Then, you know, <laughs> so right, you let them right. go and then you kind of watch them from afar and you're like, man, what is that guy doing? Or like in aviation, <laughs> like, 
like at the end of the week report, like, yeah, we had this many incidents this week and cost this much, many thousands of dollars in damage. And it's all the same guy. And you're like raising your hand and back, like, wasn't that guy supposed to be the most knowledgeable and most time in service and whatever else? I was like, what, what time in service, you know, uh, where did he <laughs> work? I'm, I'm starting to question things now. Right. right. Yeah. When you kind of in drill straight holes or know that a 24 amp uh, connector go, does not go into a, five amp socket (laughs) yeah it's it's true i mean it's it's funny i don't know how you guys feel about it but i know there's a lot of egos in any trades or any kind of maintenance but if you hear somebody coming in tooting their own horn like a little bit too loud it makes me leery right away like i'm like all right something's not right here if this guy's got to kind of shout himself up this big right yeah yeah you're 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 talking yourself up an awful lot which makes me think that you have to do this to try to set the precedence right away before anybody learns what your real lack of capabilities are. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I've experienced too, across all of mining, well, across trades in general, but yeah, it's funny that that, uh, that relates to the aircraft mechanics as well. Almost deaf. <laughs> so Almost I figured deaf. we could kind of close out the conversation here by uh, kind of what still excites you about your, your field that you're in about, about aircraft maintenance. Go ahead, six. Uh, so for myself, I mean, I, I like solving problems. I like challenges. I like uh, improving things. You know, that thing that's like the big driver is improving things. And especially something with aviation in general, it's, it evolves so fast. Before everything was all mechanical and springs and all kinds of stuff to kind of get it going. But now everything's all just fly-by-wire computer stuff. So every, it's slowly evolving into a more electric, software-heavy piece of equipment. And you got to kind of adapt and overcome every step of the way and figuring all these issues and coming up with solutions that can make it work and make it work better. It's kind of been like the, the driver mostly for me is that every time it's something new and every time it's a different way to make something improve. And, and for myself, you know, it, what six said as well, right. Making, finding the uh, problem solving, here's an issue and here's a hurdle and we came overcame it. Um, and made, made the thing happen in under budget and under time, you know, um, mission success, whatever else. But, uh, personally for me too, is at least with what I'm doing now, um, it's the mission statement. So what, what, I guess, you know, you get the maintenance, what, and what the bird does while it's up and away makes me feel like I'm, I'm doing, uh, positive changes in the world. You know what I mean? Oh, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I can I can echo kind of both of your guys' statements there. I I love how fast, like, I mean, talking about you were saying six, how all the, the flight navigation, everything is going more electrical. And it's obviously electrical itself is evolving so quickly. Like every day there's new technology coming out and it's trying to stay on top of it as best you can. And then also realizing that I'm never going to learn it all. So trying to pick and piece whatever I need to. And then, yeah, I completely agree, MVP. It's it's nice to try to kind of see a project finished. Like you were saying, seeing the flight notes. For me, it's for me, it's just seeing like a building completed or a project completed. And then you see people moving in or whatever a business take take hold in there. Like it's just kind of cool to see and know that you were a part of completing this this larger project. Yeah, from from like my own personal experience, like, hey, because you guys did this, we were able to be, we were able to be, you know, on target at a certain time, and we're able to capture um, certain things, you know, I'm trying to be real vague and not, <laughs> yeah, not give no, away too I much understand. information here. But uh, one of those kind of things, like, man, because 
because we put in the time and the effort and we kicked ass, you know, there's one less, one less, uh, bad entity rolling around type thing. Yep. So that, yeah. that's what I appreciate the most. Yep. Or excites me the most, excuse me. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, guys, and thanks for having me on your guys' podcast. Yeah, it's been fun. I appreciate uh, appreciate this collab. It's kind of like I said, it's our first one, and it's uh, it's it's fun to talk to people who are in a different industry, and and you learn the ins and outs of each other. So, you know, the listeners are kind of getting a bit of both and and learning something new. But you know, the guys talking are also learning something new. I learned a lot about mining today that I didn't really know. So it's it's really really informative in that end. Yeah, I knew absolutely nothing about mining, but now that having you on and uh, giving a little bit, like, oh, it's okay, I understand this, I understand that, and then just how all of it just kind of melds together, or there's similarities with all of it. And then Charlene, especially with his field, go from electronics on the audio side of thing, how it's melding with yours, and like, wow, like it all comes together, you know? It's one big one big circle that drives each other. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel too. That's what I, I lo- that's why I love listening to your guys' show, to be honest, is because you learn so much about like, I may not know the exact components you guys are talking about, but I, I know the exact feeling like, and it relates directly to my line of work or different experiences I've had. And so, yeah, that's what I really appreciate about this too, because you can just, you see all the similarities between the different fields and it's kind of cool. Well, I gotta, I gotta tell you, that's nice to hear because, um, and we've, uh, we've heard it before from a couple of individuals as well, but, but being relatable, right. So, you know, we could sit sit up here and do TED talks all day and people go, okay, well, you know, that's a lot of information, but whatever else, but you know, I know nothing else about the, the industry. So they kind of tune out of it after a while, but, but being relatable, you know, they can listen to it and say, yeah, I work in food service, but man, that one story you told still, man, that reminded me of this one time. And I was laughing about, you know, it sucked, sucked at the time, but now I can laugh about it type thing. And that's, that's, that's been a pretty rewarding aspect of this too. Most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, I mean, if you guys are down to do it again, we, we definitely will, but yeah, I just, I appreciate your time and I don't want to, don't want to take too much of it here today. It's a nice Sunday. Absolutely. I'm <laughs> more than, more, more than willing to uh, do this again or another crossover again. Oh yeah. Sounds good. Well, we appreciate it, sir. Thank you. And uh, we'll be in touch. All right, everybody. That's it for today. I hope you found some value in this week's episode. If you did and are interested in more content like this, please rate, review, subscribe, and recommend the podcast to a friend. I really appreciate all the feedback you've given me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again. As always, the podcast page is The Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Facebook, at Jacket Plaid on Twitter, and at Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Instagram. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for the continued support, and especially to those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you all again soon.